Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. You are listening to the Revival Fire podcast with Dr. Debbie Rich. You can find her on social media at Debbie Rich Ministries or check her website out at DebbieRichMinistries.org. Now, get ready to receive all that God has for you and enjoy the podcast. We're going to hear this morning about what has been provided for us in that blood covenant. Why we're even here today. Now, we know that the Bible is an orderly and a progressive work divided up into two testaments, the old and the new. But a better word for that than testament would be covenant. The old covenant and the new covenant. And we could get into the Greek and the Hebrew of of covenant. But let me just say that we are talking about an agreement to cut a covenant by the shedding of blood and walking between the pieces of flesh. Now, a blood covenant between two parties is the most enduring sacred thing that two people can enter into. And it is unto death do they part. And in Eastern cultures, they understand what the blood covenant is about. We understand very little of that in this, in this nation and in Western society. In fact, we live in a day where people break covenants all the time over nothing. They'll shake somebody's hand, they'll give their word, and then they'll think, big deal, if something better comes up, I'll do something different. No wonder our children and the generations have gone without any understanding of what a covenant is about. In this society, it usually means, unless I change my mind. It usually means, unless I want to go out into sin. It usually means, unless I have a better offer. But in Eastern society, in Eastern cultures, they understood back in Bible days that a blood covenant could not be broken except by death. That once you entered into that, you didn't do it lightly. You did it very seriously with thinking about what you're doing because you're in this thing. And you're taking many steps as you enter into it and you're laying your life down. And when you go into tribes in Africa and places today, even that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus and do not have a biblical understanding of the covenant, you will still see them practicing parts of a blood covenant because God has put that desire in every man and every woman and every boy and every girl's heart for the blood. He has put that void in there to say, you've got to fill this, and the only way you can fill this is with a relationship with me by the blood. And that's why even when they don't know what they're doing, even when the light has not yet come, you see them trying and making some sort of practice with and around blood because God put that on the inside of everyone. Now, the Hebrews and the other nations practiced blood covenant because man instinctively sought this relationship. And of course, God taught his nation how to enter into it right. When anyone in Bible days went into a blood covenant, there were nine specific steps that they took. And as you read from Genesis to Revelation, you read about people entering into covenants. And sometimes the Bible will list one or two of these steps, knowing that everyone back in that day understood that all nine were taken. But in this society, very few people understand that. But we're going to talk about the nine steps that they did when they went into a covenant. The first thing they did was to take off their coat or their robe, because this represented the whole person. Symbolically, they would be saying, I'm giving you all of myself. My total being and my entire life, I pledge to you. Not part of it. My entire being and all of my life, I pledge to you. 
Then number two, they would take off the belt and give it to one another. Now, the belt in those days did not hold up the britches or the skirt. <laughs> the belt in those days held up all of the weaponry, the bow, the dagger, the sword, every weapon they had, that's what the belt held together. So they would take it off, all of their armor, and they'd say, I'm giving you all of my strength and pledging you all of my support and all of my protection. Here is my strength and my ability to fight. If anybody comes against you from this moment on, they're not just coming against you. They're coming against me and all of my armies and all of my servants and all of my weaponry. It won't be your own fight from now on. We will be there on the spot and everything I have, I will give to you to fight for you. Your battles are my battles and my battles are now your battles. Number three, they would cut the covenant. They would take an animal and split it down the middle, lay each half to the side, and then they would make a figure eight through the two bloody halves and step back together and face each other. And they would say two things as they did so. First of all, we're dying to ourselves. We're giving up our rights to our own lives and we're beginning a new walk with our covenant partner unto death. Each half of the dead animal represents us. Secondly, we would point to the dead animal split in two and say, God, do so to me and more. If I ever try to break this covenant, split me right down the middle and feed me to the vultures because I tried to break the most sacred of all contracts. Can you imagine today if we had people do that in every covenant they entered into? <laughs> I mean, I've thought of all kinds of things. Like, wouldn't that be an, an addition to a wedding ceremony instead of the flowers coming out of the little basket? surprised everyone two bloody halves dumped on the floor and the minister says now say this after me if I ever do something to break this covenant split me in half like that and feed me to the vultures <laughs> that would make a big difference when we entered into uh, covenants business wise that would make a big difference when we just tell somebody I'm gonna be there for you for life as your friend uh, see these two bloody halves? God split me down the middle and feed me to the birds if I ever try to break this. People wouldn't be treating one another the way they do. Number four, they would raise the right arm and mix the blood. They would cut their palms and bring them together. Remember those days when we were growing up, whether boys, girls, whatever, we all, I think most of us did that, you know, we were, became Indian blood brothers. We would just take a little pin and barely have a little dot and we would mix that together and say, now we're blood brothers. Anybody ever wonder where we get this stuff from? It is all remaining trappings of the old blood covenant. Only they would cut their palms, bring it together, and they would intermingle the blood as they did that. And they believed that their lives were intermingling and becoming one life putting off the old nature and putting on the nature of our new blood covenant partner, the two now becoming one. Then they would, number five, exchange names. I take your last name as part of my name and you take my last name as part of your name. Number six, they would make a scar 
as a permanent testimony to the covenant. They tried purposely to make that scar big so that they had a memorial to the covenant forever. They knew that it represented covenant responsibilities. Everybody in the charismatic church today talks about covenant rights. How many have heard that expression quite often, that term? Covenant rights, this is my covenant right. Very few people talk about the other R word, covenant responsibilities. Let me say that again. Covenant responsibilities unto God and unto one another in the body of Christ. And that scar would be a reminder of that. It's the guarantee of the covenant. If anyone tries to harm us, all we got to do is raise up that right arm and show them the scar. Now, Henry Stanley, the great ex explorer that went many times into Africa, was smart enough when he was down there in Africa to cut covenant over 50 times with various chieftains. And that way, when somebody from one of the tall tribes, maybe some of our basketball players originally, somebody from a real tall tribe might be bringing back a spear. And he wasn't a very big man. And they probably thought, well, we just got this little guy here. We're going to do him in. But all of a sudden, he raises up that right arm, and he's got 50 huge scars. And they realize if they let go of that spear, they're going to have 50 tribes breathing down their neck in just moments. And with spear in hand, it would be, mm, maybe not. A very smart and handy thing to do. <laughs> he made sure he didn't care if it looked wicked. He wanted it to look wicked. All you got to do is look at this and know who I belong to, and it's not just the little pygmy tribe. <laughs> you might want to think twice. I may look like I'm alone, but I'm not alone. I like what Wigglesworth said. I may be little on the outside, but I'm 10,000 times bigger on the inside. <laughs> it caused the attackers to run. Number seven, they would give the covenant terms. They would say, all my assets are yours, all my money, all of my property, all of my possessions. If you need them, you don't even need to ask, just come and get them. What's mine is yours, and what, your, what is yours is mine. All of my children are yours by adoption. If anything happens to me, you have the responsibility to take care of my family. But all of my liabilities are yours as well. If you ever get in trouble financially, or if I ever get in trouble financially, all I got to do is run to you and say, where's our checkbook? So as you can see, people didn't enter into this too lightly. Number eight, they would eat a memorial meal. In place of the animal and blood, they had bread and wine. And of course, the Bible calls wine the blood of the grapes. And it represents our own lifeblood. And number nine, they would plan a memorial to the covenant because they wanted to always remember that they entered into one. They would plant a tree that they had sprinkled with the blood of an animal. And after they planted that tree and sprinkled it with the blood of the animal, then and only then were they known as friends. They didn't enter into that loosely like we do today. You know, we'll say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, they're a friend of mine. And many times that means I had coffee with them for five minutes at a restaurant. Can't even remember their last name. Yeah, they're a friend of mine. No, in Bible days when someone was called a friend, they had gone through all nine of these steps. 
and they were committed for life. Do you know when I was getting my start in this evangelistic ministry in Alaska, there was a couple who had been in my church when I pastored up there for two years, and they said, listen, God spoke to us. We need you to move in with us, you and your boys, while this evangelistic ministry gets off the ground. There is no need for you to stay out here and rent this little trailer out in the middle of the wilderness with the high fuel costs, and you move in with us. And I said, folks, I love you, and I know you love me, but I want to keep it that way. And I said, I've never heard of two families living in one house and making it work, so thank you, but no thank you. And she just shook me. And she said, you listen to me, that is pride. We have heard from God, and we are willing to lay down our lives to see this ministry get off the ground. They said, the first time you walked in our little church as our pastor, we looked at one another and said, this woman is going all over the world, and we're going with her. And I said, you don't even have enough bedrooms. They said, so? What does that have to do with anything? We'll, I said, you don't even have enough beds. We'll build beds out of plywood. You only have one bathroom. I have three kids. You have one that has to get to two different schools at different times. One bathroom for all of us. So? Aren't we friends? Aren't we together in this ministry that God's called you to? And I moved in there. They built beds out of plywood and stacked them up, bunk beds for my kids. You know what my room was? They were going to put a half bath in there someday, but they had not put the plumbing in yet. But that's what size it was, a half bath. Good thing I'm short. <laughs> they built me a little bed out of plywood, and when my head would come off the pillow at night, my feet were hitting the other wall. There was no room for a dresser or a closet in there. They put one little tiny dresser clear up against the bed, and I had to dive over it to go to sleep at night. And I'm telling you, I was going all over the villages of Alaska at that time and into the prison system, and I was already beginning to travel all over the rest of the country and uh, went to Russia that year and began the missions trail that now 16 nations later, and at the end of this year, it should be 20 nations. And I was living so drunk on the Holy Ghost in those days <laughs> that they would bring me home in a big Eskimo parka. Those things weigh 30 pounds. It would be 20 below zero. And they'd bring me home after my own meeting <laughs> in one of those coats, and they would throw me over the dresser and hope I landed in my bed. Because I was so drunk in the Holy Ghost, they had to carry me out of there. And I would lay there, and I would wake up in the middle of the night hearing them laugh, because I'm telling you, they're real yielders too. And I thought, you know, this is wonderful, but I'm never going to get any sleep if they don't quit laughing so close to my room. And then, all of a sudden, I realized it wasn't them, it was me. And I was waking myself up in the middle of the night, just still, with joy unspeakable and full of glory bubbling out of the inside of me. They would leave my car at the church, and they'd say, do you remember last night in your own service? <laughs> you were going down the prayer line and fell out in the middle of your prayer line. We picked you up, and we just took your hand and just... And I would lay there and go, oh, it's coming back to me now. <laughs> what a way to live. <laughs> I didn't really envision at that time my new home down here in sunny Florida. <laughs> I was going out into villages where it was 50 below without the wind chill. 
The last couple days, I joined a friend at the beach, and I had out-of-town company. And I'm telling you, hasn't this weather been just amazing and perfect the last few days? And I'm gone so much, it doesn't even seem like I'm usually home in the winter. In fact, I'm usually back up in Alaska as I'm heading there again in two weeks to spend two weeks in December up there after Washington and Tulsa. But I, I guess I'm just not usually home in November. I thought about it. I'm usually only home, it seems like, in the hot, humid summer. And I'm out there on the beach. <laughs> and I just started to laugh all over again, going, oh, what a big God. Thinking about those days of 50, 60 below, without the wind chill, flying through blizzards, landing in places where there's no running water and you have an outhouse three miles down the road to go to in the middle of the night, eating moose head soup made out of the nostrils of the moose, and living when I did get home in a half bath, <laughs> driving a total car when I got home with a call burning on the inside of me for revival all over the earth. And I'm standing here the last couple days on the beach with the palm trees thinking about preaching here this morning and going, ha oh, what a big God. <laughs> Thinking about his faithfulness and his restoration and through it all. <laughs> that he never gives up on us. <laughs> Only a big, awesome, mighty, faithful, loving, full of long-suffering God could do what he's done. <laughs> Hallelujah. But anyway, <laughs> my friends, I could just step here and be gone the rest of the service, but my friends were friends like they were in Bible days. We'll lay our lives down. They had a real estate business. They had a Christian bookstore. They had the used clothing store that somebody had given them. I understand why. Anyway, <laughs> the one to tax right off. And uh, they had all these things going. She's been state senator. She was the Republican Party's national chairperson for the whole state. You think they were a little bit busy? And they would shut their office down and travel with me part of the time. And they would work for me for almost nothing. And then when they were finally on the payroll, it's still what some people would consider nothing. And I kept saying, look, you guys, I appreciate how you helped me get started. But look, do you know they just called me last night and they're still like that. They're still like that. They're still blood covenant brothers and sisters out there. We need each other in the body of Christ. Now most churches just send everybody to a social agency who needs anything. Uh, go to that place, go to that agency, go to that one. No one, there's no power in most churches. Go through the AA program. Go, I remember the day, thank God, these are some good memories that I had grown up in Pentecost. I remember the day people would grab people, they were totally drunk on alcohol. They would get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and delivered in one shot. Thank God we're going back into power and glory days as never before, the greatest hour the church has ever known. We can get some things changed. Not just a program for this and a workshop for that and a workshop for that. Like pastor says, you only need that many workshops when everything's broken. I'm surprised we don't have workshops for the people who are burnout out in workshops. 
Hello, I, I've been in this church that has 19 workshops. I was wondering if you have any workshop burnout programs, workshops. <laughs> but when you get back in a place where there's power, it cuts down on counseling, it cuts down on everything. We were just somewhere a few weeks ago where a lady had sugar, just had been diagnosed with sugar diabetes. Her husband was a diabetic, and she thought she would test her own blood just, to, just out of curiosity and found out it was over 400. Got in there, and all the medication had not helped at all. She said she was being careful what she ate. She said when she'd wake up in the morning, it was even worse after she slept at night, and she was so discouraged. And I'm telling you, one little healed... And she went home and it was a hundred. And it stayed a hundred ever since. Hallelujah. A God who's bigger than insulin. A God who's bigger than doctors. A God who's bigger than counselors. A God who's bigger than workshops. A God who's bigger than anything. Hallelujah. Now in the Bible, Several people cut covenant with one another. Abraham cut covenant with Abimelech, the Philistine king. Jacob with Laban, his uncle. But the one I want to talk about here for a few moments, and I tell you, I realize it's been a little teachy as we've gone through those nine steps, but if you can't shout yet, you'll be shouting here in a few minutes. God's going to open your eyes to some things. We're going to talk about David and Jonathan cutting covenant. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18... Verse 2, and Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant. Everyone say covenant. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David in his garments, even to his sword, to his bow, and to his girdle. Now, it doesn't give us all nine steps, but it knows anybody who knows anything about the blood covenant is going to see that and know that they took all nine steps. Now, in this little story we're going to talk about in just a moment, we have got David in this story representing God. How many remember the Bible says David was a man after his own heart? David loved Saul. He wanted to show him kindness. He wanted to show him grace. He wanted to show him mercy. He wanted to love on him. He wanted to bless him. But could Saul believe that? No. Saul refused to believe that. So everything David wanted to bless him with was just going to waste because Saul refused to believe that David was the way that he was. Then we have Saul, the opposite of David. He represents Satan's, Satan's kingdom in this story. He was always outside the will of God, always rebellious, had a knack for saying, I almost did it, God. I almost killed everybody. Doesn't almost count for something with God? No. I almost obeyed you. I kind of thought about obeying you. I talk about it once in a while. Always outside the will of God, full of pride, full of bitterness, full of rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Let me say that again. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And do you know, I, I can see people sometimes who they might not call themselves rebellious, but they're just carrying around a little chip on their shoulder. I heard recently somebody mentioning somebody else. I mean, those things always fill their back. Just visited here, and so I tell you, a church ought to be done this way, and they're doing this wrong and doing that wrong. 
no longer in our midst. And I thought, you know what? The first time somebody hears himself saying that, they should beware, I'm entering into witchcraft. Oh, boy. Uh, this isn't the shout material part yet, obviously. <laughs> I always want to be on God's side. One thing we don't hear taught a whole lot in the charismatic church today is submission and authority. And I thank God for some of the foundational things that have been put on the inside of me. I'll say that again. I thank God for some of the foundational things that have been put on the inside of me. Anyway, Saul, rebellious, seeks to do his own thing rather than God's thing. He brings grief and sorrow to himself. He's afraid of David until it becomes an obsession. Do you know sin and rebellion will always breed fear? Nobody has to be afraid when they're doing right. But when they aren't, they always become paranoid. That's the person that says, they're out to get me. Tell you the pastor's wife didn't smile at me today. They don't like me. I just could feel it. <laughs> That's the one that always says, I don't know why. I'm always, you know, nobody pays any attention to me here. I don't think they like me. I think they think there's something wrong with me. When that begins, you know you're in trouble and need to get back under the blood and get a fresh dose of the Holy Ghost. Sin will make you paranoid where you think everybody's out to get you. When you're just obeying God, you just stay full of the Holy Ghost, drunk in the Holy Ghost, and you may look stupid to other people. You're just walking around, hee hee, ha ha, ho ho, I love everybody, everybody loves me. They might be saying behind your back, that's what you think, but you're happy. <laughs> uh. Saul makes his whole family afraid of David. David is not like Saul makes him out to be, but Saul won't believe it. Then we have Jonathan, who represents Jesus in this story. He's the opposite of Saul and the rest of his family. He's really more like David, even though he's of Saul's family. He loves David as himself. They enter into a blood covenant, and then he's always trying to bring peace between Saul and David. Come on, he loves you, Dad. No, he doesn't. He hates me. He wants my kingdom. No, he loves you. Just give him a chance. He wants to bless you. He, wants, he respects the anointing upon you. He, he just is out for your welfare and your peace, not for your evil. I don't believe that. But Jonathan was determined to bring peace between them, and he enters into a covenant with David. But the harder he tries to bring the peace, the angrier Saul becomes until Saul ends up throwing a spear at him just like he did David. It, it appears that all of his reconciliation attempts are failing. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, Jonathan has a son and his name is Mephibosheth. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. When this little boy is five years old, his father and his grandfather are killed in battle. The nurse grabs him up in haste and says, your dad and your grandpa just died. The kingdom has fallen. It means it's the end of your family being on the throne. I've got to hide you, boy. And so she grabs him, and in a hurry, she drops him, and both of his feet are crushed. She takes him to live out in the desert called Lodabar, where they are hiding from King David. 
the nurse is telling him stories. You know she was while they were hiding out there. You know where you ought to be today. You ought to be sitting on the throne. It's yours by all right, but because of David. In fact, it's because of David, really, your dad and grandpa died. And it's really because of David that you're out here with crushed feet in the desert when you ought to be on the throne. It's because of David. David wants to wipe out all of your family. You better hope David doesn't ever find out you're alive out here or he will torture you and kill you and feed you to the dogs. I'm going to keep you hidden out here. And hopefully nobody's going to tell on us that we're even out here. Can you imagine how that boy grew up feeling about David? Hating him, telling David jokes thinking David's just out to take my fun away because of him. I'm out here in the desert in rags when I ought to be in the king's palace. I'm out here having to eat the mice in the desert when I ought to be eating the king's finest meats and wine. I'm out here with crushed feet when I would have been whole if he had not done what he did. I wonder why he didn't like my dad anyway. Well, I don't like him. I don't care. I can't stand him. He's just mean. He just wants to judge me. He just wants to take my parties away. He just wants to take my fun away. He wants me to be in some sort of captivity where I never have any fun the rest of my life. I hate him, and I hope he never finds me out here. And for years, the whole palace keeps it silent. David would inquire every once in a while, and everybody would like, hmm, don't know of anybody in the family left alive. Nope, nope, nope. But David wouldn't give up. The nurse said, you better hope you never hear the chariot wheels of the king driving up. Because if you ever do, you are finished, buddy. Maybe he will just finish you off quickly and not torture you. Maybe he'll just put you in prison and not kill you. That would be the best we could hope for. But let's just hope nobody ever tells on us you never hear those chariot wheels pulling up. But then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? Dum, da, dum, dum. He's asking again. And then he finishes the question. Oh, hallelujah. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. <laughs> All the servants have kept silent till now, but there's one that speaks up. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Emil, and Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. Let's just stop here for a moment. He's out there with his crushed feet, with his bandits. You know who hangs out in the desert, all the rest of the riffraff, the criminals. That's the only pals he's got out there. The people who are all for different reasons, all hiding from King David. That's his little family out there on his crushed feet in the shack with a broken window pane. And then one day he's doing whatever you do with crushed feet out in the middle of the desert with the riffraff. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 coming down the road are great big chariot wheels, sand flying everywhere. And he looks up, oh no, what I have feared has come upon me. 
Who squealed on me? King David is coming. Oh, I'm done for. I can't run. I'm lame on my feet. He already knows I'm here. He will hunt me down. Okay, the, the next best thing, when he comes in, maybe if I just fall on my face, maybe if I just do him reverence, maybe he'll only behead me quickly. Maybe he won't torture me. Maybe he'll just throw me in prison for life. Maybe it won't be as bad as they said it's going to be if I can really honor him. The shack door flies open. In comes the king with all of his entourage. Mephibosheth, he's on the floor. Yes, my king, get up. Okay. Okay. Yes, sir. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. <laughs> what? I'm hearing something wrong. Excuse me? Say again? And he says to him, he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? What do you want from me? Do you want me to serve you for a thousand years or what? You're going to let me live if I just serve you? What's the deal here? <laughs> then the king called to Saul's servant and said to him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the lamb for him. <laughs> and you shall bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. <laughs> he goes on to say, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's son. Oh, hallelujah. In verse 13, Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. David is reigning as king, and he remembers I entered a blood covenant with Jonathan. We loved each other as our own soul. I entered a covenant. That means his children belong to me if they will just accept it. I've got to find out if he has any kids still alive. He comes, Mephibosheth is cowering, and David walks in and says, Son, get up. I've come here. I've been looking for you for a long time, but you've been hiding out here in the desert from me. I found you. Yes, sir, I see that you did. Yikes. Get up. I got some things I want to discuss. I bet you do. He stands up and says, here's the deal. Look at this boy. I entered into covenant with your father. Did no one ever tell you that? No, nobody did. You know what that means, son? What? That means that if you will just accept what I want to do, all of your sin against me will be forgiven. All of your King David jokes will be wiped out in a moment. I know you've talked about me out here. I know you've lived in fear of me and hating me. But if you will accept this covenant, I want you to know that we'll take those old rags off your body. And we will dress you in the best clothes in the king's house. You will live continually at my table. You will eat the finest meats and drink the finest wines. I will give you your, my name 
All of your children will be my children. The armies of Israel will fight in your behalf. If anybody ever comes against you again, I will be there in a moment. You will never have anything to fear again. All of my assets are yours. All of the kingdom is yours. All of my finances are yours. You will be, you will have the finest linens put on your bed at night. You will sleep in the finest beds. You will have the finest of everything all the days of your life. You will live in peace in my house. You will live in blessing in my house. I will live just to bless you, Mephibosheth. Uh, just a second. I'm missing something in this story. Uh, what do you want from me for this? Do you, do you want me to work hard for you? Do, oh, you've missed it, Mephibosheth. Look at this again. I've entered into covenant with your father. There is nothing you could do. You couldn't work for me for a thousand years and make up for what you've done and how you've talked about me. It's free. If you'll just accept it. If you'll just accept the terms of the covenant, I will bless you all the days of your life. He still has a decision to make, though. You say, what kind of a decision is that? Well, that's what we always ask. What kind of a decision is it? But he's been used to one sort of family. He's going to have a whole new family. Whole new bunch of friends. He's got to give up the riffraff of the desert. And even though they are riffraff, you get used to things. You get in a comfort zone. You get used to, am I going to have to give up my parties? David says to him, parties? You call whatever you're doing here in the middle of the sand with your broken feet and your mice for dinner? You're worried about giving that up, are you? Let me tell you about parties. Nobody's had a party like the king has a party. You haven't known anything yet. Uh, I'm sort of used to, though, to cussing out here with my best friend, Sammy. You are going to have friends around you on all sides who will lay down their lives for you just as I'm willing to do. Not somebody who will just act like they're your friend and then when you're down and out, stab you in the back and steal from you. You're going to have a brand new family. Uh, but if I do this, let's see. I've got to admit I was wrong about you, David. All these years, I thought you were just a king of judgment. All these years, I just thought you wanted to take my fun away. I've heard reports. I'm going to have to swallow my pride, ask you to forgive me, and admit I was wrong about you. And that's right where some people stumble right there. You mean I gotta actually acknowledge you're wonderful and that I've thought wrong and I've been told wrong? Yeah, I guess you have a decision to make. You do need to do that. But really, balancing the broken down shack with the cracked window pane in the middle of the sand for the king's palace all over a surrender of pride. What kind of a decision is that? David said, I'll give you my name. Everything that I have will now belong to you just because I entered into covenant with your father, but you still got to accept it. You can refuse this covenant. It belongs to you and your children and as many as are afar off if they will all accept it, but if you refuse to, I've done all I can do. Now, you know where we're going with this, but I'm going to make it real plain to remind you. We were there, like Mephibosheth, hiding out in the desert of alcohol, drugs, sex, bitterness, hatred, 
feeling sorry for ourselves. Whatever your desert was, poverty, sickness and disease, depression. And a lot of people were told all their lives, you better hope that nobody gets you to come into church someday. You better hope that you don't meet up with one of those preachers or those holy rollers. You better hope you don't get in one of those services where they start to sing just right. Because some chariot of the Holy Ghost is going to pull up to your door. And they're going to try to get you up there. But I want you to know ahead of time that if you do, you're going to be stuck in some dead, dry religion. No more party. No more fun. No more anything. God just wants to drop the gavel. He really wants you to go to hell. But if you don't go to hell, you're just going to have to settle for hell on earth in some religious humdrum of a thing. You, be you better not even go and visit with them. People told their God jokes, their preacher jokes, their ministry jokes, their holy roller jokes, their revival jokes. And a lot of you, and perhaps some of you still here this morning, are still hiding out. And somebody brought you with them this morning. And right about now, you start going, great, they're finding out where I'm sitting. <laughs> That's why people start to squirm in their seats a little bit. Just get this over with. That's why they nudge their friend. You know, I think I need to leave a few minutes early. Oh, the gavel's about to come down. I'm about to get robbed of all my fun. And then the Holy Spirit pulls up to your door, as he is right now. And he says, I've been looking for you. Yeah, I know. They've told me you've been looking for me. What do you want? I've come to give you the terms of the covenant. That I sent my only son who was sinless to take on himself an earthen body and become part of your family even though he was more like me. Even though he never took on him that sin nature. Even though that sin never got mingled in his blood. Even though he was part of your family, he stayed just like me. And he has one desire to bring reconciliation between your family and me. And I entered into a covenant, not with a man, not with a woman whose blood was tainted, but I entered into covenant with my very own son, pure and perfect and sinless blood that he presented into me and to the Holy of Holies and laid it down once and for all. He took upon him an earthen body and he hung on that tree. And your sin, the sin of every mass murderer and the sin of the person that, quote, tells the white lie, the sin of the person who's just self-righteous and the sin of one who's done everything under the sun all hung upon him equally. And when he did that, he signed the covenant with his own blood. And here are the terms. He took your name upon him, son of man, that you might be called Christian, which means Christ-like. He took all of your sin and all of your sickness and all of your disease and all of your liability upon him. And in return, he says, I give unto you everything that I have, all of the angels at your disposal, the name which is above every name, the sword of the spirit, all of the weaponry, it's all at your disposal. 
all of my assets and I promise to meet your every need according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I've given you healing for your sickness and for your disease. I've given you freedom for your bondage. I have given you, I've taken off those filthy rags of self-righteousness, those hung on me in the cross. And in return, I will clothe you in my righteousness, which shall be as pure as the driven snow. And when my righteousness is upon you, when you accept that, my Father looks at you and can't tell the difference between you and me because you're clothed in the same righteousness. I've taken all of your liabilities and anything I have belongs to you. I've given you all the authority of the kingdom. If the enemy comes against you and says, oh, there's some little weak Christian, I'm going after him. All you got to do is showing the seal of the covenant, the Holy Ghost, that scar upon your heart that says you belong to me. And I may look like a little person, but you're not just coming after me. I've got a blood covenant partner that has already made a spoil of you openly triumphing over you in it. And he's already seated me with him in heavenly places and put the devil under my feet. You best not touch me or you'll be touching the heart of God and all of heaven will be there on my behalf. Hallelujah. I'll clothe you in my garment of, self, uh, my garment of salvation, my robe of righteousness. I will impart to you that righteousness. Count it as righteous. We'll exchange natures. I'll take that quick temper of yours. I'll take that domineering spirit of yours. I'll take that passive, timid one of yours. I'll take those lustful thoughts. I'll take that junk that has plagued every generation in your family. I will take it all. And I will give you my nature, and you shall operate in the fruit of the Spirit. And people will say, what has happened to you? I wouldn't recognize you. You are not the same man. You are not the same woman. I will write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. And that's just the beginning. It doesn't all end at salvation. Salvation is an all-encompassing term. That word sozo means whole, wholeness, health, preservation, provision, everything we need. And the more we yield to the Holy Ghost, the more we spend time in his presence, the more unrecognizable we become to the world. Till I'm telling you time after time after time, even if you've been saved for years, you'll come out the next time and people will say, my goodness, I wouldn't know you. Who are you, you Holy Ghost Rambo? That's why we believe in tangible, transmittable anointing around here. We don't go through a religious ritual when we lay hands on people's heads. We are doing what Peter and John did, such as I have, give I thee, whole, change, full of joy, full of peace, unrecognizable. I know you don't deserve it. You couldn't serve me for a thousand years and make up for it. There's nothing you can do. That's why I entered in. <laughs> Entered into covenant with my own son. <laughs> I'll put my spirit within you and bless you with all spiritual blessings. We'll intermingle our blood. You will become a part of me and I will live in your house and in your heart. My house will be your house. 
You will reign with me for a thousand years, and then you will spend all of eternity with me on streets of gold with gates of pearls. <laughs> I'll be a father to you and adopt you as my own son. <laughs> this is my free gift to you to show I love you. If you enter into covenant with me, you'll be known as my friend. You'll exchange names. You'll now be called a Christian. And then like the scar, Jesus sends the Holy Ghost to all who will enter covenant with him. He's the seal that bears witness of that covenant, the constant reminder and the guarantee that we're in covenant with him. <laughs> oh, every time the enemy comes against us with anything, you best look at this scar, enemy, because I belong to someone else. Give it your best shot, but I'm not going down. Give it your best shot, but I'm not going down. I have only just begun from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. So much glory, I'm going to knock my microphone off here. My ears aren't as big as pastors. <laughs> if you're listening, Pastor, I meant that very complimentary. <laughs> oh, I want to close with this this morning. Do you realize... <laughs> Don't encourage me. <laughs> Do you realize this morning, as with every morning, there is a trial going on right now? A trial going on right now the Bible tells us we have an enemy called the accuser of the brethren he doesn't want you and I to have anything that Jesus has already paid for it's one reason he hates this joy so much because it's with joy that we draw <laughs> from the well of salvation and when your buckets broken and you don't have any joy what Jesus has already provided for us it's hard it's hard for it to be brought to us we don't even know how to draw it. And he's constantly accusing you and I. He doesn't want you to get healed this morning. He doesn't want you to receive joy this morning. He doesn't want you to receive anything that God's already provided through his son. So this is the business he's up to that he's been up to ever since the beginning. And when you were getting ready to come in here this morning, I dare say that some of you might have had a rough morning. And if not, probably last night. And before you even left to come to church, you were frustrated. Ah, oh, got to wear this stupid old rag again. When am I ever going to get some new clothes? Besides, I hope they don't seat me by so-and-so. I can't, every time she laughs, she snorts, she bugs me. I just... Of course, I probably wouldn't have to worry about it. Those ushers never recognize me and seat me anywhere. For all they care, I could sit in the parking lot. Come on. Uh, then you got angry with your husband or your wife, surely not. <laughs> and you get in church, he goes to put his arm around you, and you go, don't touch me after what you just said this morning. Oh, sure, you can get in church and act all holier than thou if those people knew what you were like this morning. 
Perhaps some of you lost your temper this morning. Kick the dog. <laughs> Grab the kids. Get in the car, you little worthless things. We got to go into the presence of God. Hurry up. <laughs> Come on. We're just getting down where you live here. <laughs> and make sure, honey, you tell me if that children's church teacher scolds you again, I'm going to have it out with them. <laughs> I'm the only one who can yell at you like that. And then you get here, and you need a healing. And the accuser of the brethren tries to block that by saying, they don't deserve healing. He'll tell you that. He'll try to tell God that. They don't deserve healing. In fact, I'm going to show you what they did this morning. They no more act like a Christian than anything. And he tries to come into the courtroom but here's the deal. The accuser of the brethren, our prosecuting attorney, may try to give the judge a story about us. But I got good news for you. Before the court ever progresses, our attorney is related to the judge. <laughs> In fact, he just happens to be his son. And he meets with you and I. And he says, now he's going to try to accuse you of some things this morning. But it's very important that you don't say anything. Let me speak for you. Don't say anything except what the script says, which is that word. And he holds up the word. Don't say anything except what this says. He's going to try to rattle you. He's going to try to get you to plead guilty. He's going to try to get you to get all upset and say, that's right. I did kick the dog. I did yell at my kids. I don't deserve anything. I'm worthless. I don't even act like a Christian. I don't even know if I am saved. He's right. I, don't, I shouldn't get anything this morning. If he can get you to say that, the righteous judge is going to have no choice but to drop the gavel and say out of his own mouth, out of her own mouth, she said guilty. She said she doesn't deserve this. But if you will be quiet, because listen to this, Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We have a witness this morning that speaks of better things than Abel's blood spoke of, that cries out from the ground. We have the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks. So maybe the prosecutor gets out his video this morning and says why you don't deserve anything. And, and the judge can see you yelling at the kids, mad at your husband, kicking the dog. Mad at people in church. You didn't drive right. You were speeding. Cut somebody off or they cut you off and you yelled at them. And you're watching the whole video going, oh, I'm never going to be healed. Then you remember what your defense attorney said. Just let me speak for you. I've got witnesses. You do? I can't imagine who could have been there this morning, a witness on my behalf. Oh, we got somebody. Just keep your mouth closed. We got somebody. I want to call my first witness to the stand. The blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood takes the stand and says, oh, it's not that they didn't do anything. It's not even that they aren't deserving of punishment. It's not that somebody gets off scot-free. I already took it all. It's already paid for. It's already finished. It's already done. 
Jesus went out with his disciples and had a memorial meal. And in the place of his own blood, they had wine. And in the place of his broken body, they had bread. And he went out and he planted a tree. But instead of letting the blood of some bulls and goats or even the blood out of somebody's wrist run down Golgotha's hill, it was all of his life's blood that ran down that hill. All of it. And he said, this stands forever as a memorial. It's finished. It's over. If they will accept that and stay under my blood, and if they will plead my blood, even when they miss it, it's done. I already paid the price. And the judge says, you got any other witnesses, Mr. Lawyer? Oh, yeah, my broken body. Not only did I pay for their sin, I paid for their healing. It's already all finished. But what can they do to deserve this? Nothing. But that person on the stand right now has asked the question, do you accept this? Do you believe this? Yes, not guilty. Yes, not guilty. I'm not guilty. That blood wipes it out even as recent as two hours ago. If you will accept that. Now you understand we're not given a license to sin and a license to live in the flesh instead of in the spirit. We're being changed from glory to glory, but while that process is going on, oh, we have to embrace the blood. That's why we come back together. That's why the Bible says, forget not the assembling of yourselves together. And so much more as the day gets closer. We need his presence here this morning. We need the corporate anointing. We need to realize what he's done and what we can live in. The blood speaks on your behalf today. If you don't know Jesus personally as your Savior, the blood is speaking right now, saying, I already took the price. Why should you take it too? All you got to do is accept what I've done for you. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this house. All over this auditorium this morning, God would not have had us deliver this message if everybody here was ready to meet him. I don't believe, even though it's a message also for the Christian to realize what's been made available and to step into everything he's done for us. But I know there are people here, you may be a good person, you may be, have been trying all of your life to do good things for people and to just live as right as you know how to live. But I don't care if you're the most perfect person on the face of the earth. We were still all on our way to hell unless we accepted what Jesus did for us. The Bible says you must be born again. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to look at a Bible once in a while. You must be born again. You have to know that you know that you know that there was a moment where you asked Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins and wash you in his blood and come to live in your heart. And if you're here and you're not sure if you've ever done that and you want to make sure this morning, this isn't salvation you have to wonder about. This is salvation you know that you know that you know that if you died today or that if Jesus came for you today, that you're ready to go and live with him. And if there's any doubt, if you're not sure of that, you need to make sure today. I'm going to ask you all over this auditorium to lift your hand. We're going to pray with you and say yes today. Thank you. I see hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. More hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands going up. Thank you. You're not going to be alone. Hands are going up all over the place. This is a day to make sure that you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Even if you have ever, thank you, hands are continuing to go, come up. You can sure still put them up while I say this. Even if you have known Jesus and you've asked him into your heart, but you say, I just know I haven't been living right, and maybe I got bitter in church, the things of the world called me again, addictions, whatever, and I just went back out in the world, and I know I need to come back to him today and rededicate my life and get a fresh dip under the blood today. I want you also to put your hands up with these many, many who have their hands up and have put them up. Many more going up now, saying, yes, I'm going to make sure this morning. I'm going to make sure this morning I'm coming back home. Why would anybody want to stay out in Lodabar when you can be in the king's house? Why would anybody say, well, I was there, but I think I, I, I kind of missed some of the mice in the desert. I think I'll have to visit Louis the thief out there. It's been a long time since I've seen him. I've only been surrounded by loving, wonderful people. I think I better visit some of those guys. Maybe you went back out to visit, but then you realize, what am I doing back out here in the desert when I can be in the king's house, eating the finest foods, having the finest wines with people who actually love me? He's asking you to come back home this morning. Now I'm going to ask you to look at me for a moment. Many, many hands have gone up. Thank you. But I'm going to ask you again in this section, entrance number three, right here. If you did not raise your hand, but you know you should have, it's not too late. God's having to stop and do this to make sure you're included. I want you to put that hand up right now and say thank you for waiting another moment. Thank you. More hands going up. Thank you. Oh, this is a brand new day for you. In Jesus' name. A brand new day. Back over here. If you say, I want to be included in this, and I did not raise my hand, of course there's a war going on. The devil's telling you, don't raise your hand. They're going to take your fun away. You already heard enough this morning to know that's a lie from the pits of hell. There is an enemy that wants to take you down to hell with him. He didn't even want you to get this far and get in this building today, but he's lost. He knows there's a king that wants to bless you and make you his very own and adopt you and give, his, give you his name. Yes, go ahead and put those hands up and say, I want to be included in this prayer. Thank you. Several people are right here in entrance number two who would say, include me in this prayer. I'm making sure today. I'm entering into this covenant, and I'm going to enjoy what's mine, what the blood has made away for me. If you have not held your hand up so far, but you say, include me, put it up real quickly. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Oh, this is wonderful. All right, entrance number one. Yes, hands going up. Anyone else who'd say, please include me. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. Brand new day, brand new name, brand new life, brand new joy, brand new peace, brand new blessing. Who would say here in entrance number four, please include me. I didn't raise my hand, but I know I need to. Thank you. Hands going up here as well. All right. Now, everybody who lifted your hands on any of those calls or anyone else who should have and you still didn't, you said, oh, I'm just so torn. You're torn between Lodabar and glory. 
torn between judgment and peace, bondage and freedom, torn between depression and joy, torn between sickness and disease or healing. What's there to be torn about? I'm going to ask all of you who did or should have lifted your hands to come up around this altar. We're going to make a big circle around this square. We're going to come up close. Come in Jesus' name. Come in Jesus' name. Many hands went up. If your hand went up, you need to come up here. Come in Jesus' name. much time we're going to take a few more minutes for you we will wait just for you we are talking about eternity here we're not talking about joining a church we're not talking about putting on a public display and you say I raised my hand but I just don't want to walk up there the Bible says we must believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus there's something about that public confession he said if we deny him here on earth he'll have to deny us before the Father there's something about saying today I admit in front of heaven and hell I admit in front of people that I'm beginning a new walk with my blood covenant partner I'm forgetting the things of the world and I'm running to Jesus this morning I'm going to be totally changed I will walk out of here a different man a different woman a different boy a different girl I'm asking if you raised your hands or you should have to quickly run up here as they sing this again. We're going to wait a few more minutes. Come. pray this prayer out loud with me and when we finish we'll have you follow who are they going to follow here pastor Boyan over here and he is going to take you to a room where he's just going to give you a booklet and make sure you understand what happened this morning but here is where the change occurs right now Jesus is going to come into your heart he's going to wipe out your sin and if you say Lord I feel so bad about that sin after you're through with this prayer he's going to say what sin I don't know it took place 
you're going to be a brand new person in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands toward heaven where our help comes from. It doesn't come from man or woman. It comes from God Almighty. And I'm going to ask you to pray this out loud. Father God, Father God I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Your son, your son who shed his blood for me. Shed his blood for me. He bore all of my sin. All of my sickness. All of my sickness. All of my disease. All of my disease. And then he died. And then he died. And you raised him from the dead. And you raised him from the dead. And he lives at your right hand. And he lives at your right hand. To pray for me. To pray for me. And to help me. And to help me. And your word says. And your word says. That if I believe this in my heart. If I believe this in my heart. And I confess it with my mouth. And I confess it with my mouth. That I shall be saved. That I shall be saved. Or born again. Born again. And your word also says. Your word also says. That if I have sinned. If I have sinned. And I confess that sin. And I confess that sin. You are faithful. You are faithful. And just. And just. To forgive me. To forgive and me. And to cleanse me. And cleanse me. From all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. So this day. So this day, this Sunday afternoon, this Sunday, afternoon, I ask you, Jesus Christ, I ask you, Jesus, to Christ, forgive me of my sin, to forgive me of my to sin, wash it away with your to blood, wash it away with your blood, to come into my heart and live, come into my heart, to, to give me brand new life, give me a brand new life. I turn around, I turn around, 180 degrees, 180 degrees. I leave the world behind me, I leave the world behind, and I run to you, Jesus, and I run to you, Jesus. And I will serve you. And I will serve you. All the days of my life. All the days of my life. I will never be the same. I will never be the same. And I confess you. And I confess Jesus you. Christ. Jesus Christ. As my Lord. As my Lord. And my Savior. And my Savior. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 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 The Bible says. When one person comes to know Jesus, all the angels in heaven rejoice. They throw a party. So we're throwing a party with them. He has written your name down. And I tell you by the authority as a minister of the gospel that your sins are forgiven you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, this is wonderful. This is just the beginning. This isn't the ending. This is the beginning. He wants to heal your bodies. He wants you to come to know him more intimately every day. He wants you to become intimately acquainted with him, to read his word, and he'll show you things in his word, to be in his presence and experience joy like you've never known. So this is just the beginning. Welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if you can follow Pastor Boy in here.
ask you this. How many of you said, you know, I've understood that I'm in a blood covenant and I've had some revelation of it, but today my eyes were open as never before to what he's made way for me. All right? I'm going to ask all of you to stand, even those of you who've already had the revelation with those who just got it. And anything that he's included in that covenant that right now you're having a difficult time laying a hold of, whether it's healing, whether it's peace. Maybe you're in a storm and you're going, God, I just can't get my mind to shut down. He has promised you peace that passes understanding. As pastor always says, you don't need peace in the middle of peace. Some people say, well, sometimes I have peace. No, it means sometimes they have nothing going on. You need peace in the middle of the storm. Some of you have just been through some battles and say, I could just use a refreshing. And I've just at times thought, Lord, why does so-and-so get it so much easier than me or this one or that one? Is there just something about me that you don't want to have that kind of joy or you don't want to have that kind of peace? Absolutely not. He's provided all of it for you. I want you to lift your hands toward heaven. Father, we thank you for the blood covenant that you entered into with your very own son. And it's so easy for us at times walking upon this earth to forget what has been made available for us. Lord, let this seed go so deep in every heart that we never forget what is available for us. That we're going to lay hold and we're going to press on for that mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to have our healing. We're going to operate in joy. We're going to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we're going to yield ourselves and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to have everything that you make and keep ready for those who love you. Lord, we thank you that you've given unto us all spiritual blessings and heavenly places. We thank you that you've seated us with you in heavenly places and put the enemy under our feet. We are not going to lay down and play dead anymore. We're not going to be a weak church that says, well, the enemy's brought this to my door this week. I guess I just got to take it. Oh, no. All of the angels are on our side. The name is on our side. The blood's on our side. The word's on our side. The covenant's on our side. And we're going to take what's ours right now. In Jesus' name. If anyone needs healing here right now, we take it in Jesus' name. Because you already provided it. You did all you're going to do about it. We just have our eyes and ears open into that heavenly realm to see what's ours. And we take it. We take joy right now. We take all we need in the Holy Ghost right now. We take peace in Jesus' name. We take wisdom in Jesus' name. We take boldness in Jesus' name. We take everything we need, and we will not forget what you've done for us. And we give you all the praise and glory. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Debbie Rich. I trust that you enjoyed this podcast and that it is a life-changing experience for you. And there are more great podcasts to come. And hopefully you will join us for each and every one. God bless.